Welcome to this uh, service of worship this morning. I invite you to stand and join in the call to worship that's printed in your bulletin. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Holy God, we have come today because you are the Almighty One. We've come today to worship you, to lay our lives before you, to sing of your greatness, to read your word, to join our hearts in prayer, and to listen to the still, small voice of your Spirit. Be glorified in our worship. And change us in this hour together. We ask this through Christ. Amen.
Amen. What a great word of declaration about our God. I invite you to, uh, to introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Greet someone you do as uh, we share a bit of fellowship of life of our church together. A great joy to gather in worship and to uh, to connect with uh, one another once again. We want to welcome uh, new and returning students at the academy and the college. Love having you back, and uh, we uh, hope are praying and hoping that this is an awesome year of uh, growth academically, intellectually, relationally, and spiritually. And we are privileged to uh, to play a role in uh, your lives of uh, being uh, the church for you while you're here. I suspect that many of you have uh, been involved in ministries at the church where you were raised, uh, where you go home in the summer times, and you may wonder as you come here, is there a place for me to serve? Is there something that I can do? If you look at the inserts in the bulletin, you know that's a definitive yes. Uh, There are all kinds of ways in which uh, students and people who live here year-round can get involved. You see information about uh, working during the worship service, ushering, greeting, music, uh, as well as ministry with children and youth, uh, outreach to, to the community at large, as well as uh, to us as a body of believers. Feel free to uh, take these uh, sheets home and pray over them, and uh, you can get them back to the church office or drop them in the offering plate or a box in the back this morning if you, uh, if you have some interest, and we'll get back in touch with you. But we love having uh, people involved in ministry. I think it's one of the significant ways in which God works in our lives. Uh, to rely on him that much more. So thank you in advance for uh, what you're going to do and how God you allow God to use you through ministry this year. We also want to invite you back tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to gather together just to pray. Uh, we're going to pray for the needs that we represent here. We're, the pastors will be available with, uh, to anoint with oil and to pray for those who would like that for healing, whatever form that may take. We're going to pray for uh, the institutions here around us. We're going to pray pray for our world. And um, in fact, many of us know things are unraveling in a lot of places of our world. Uh, Egypt, Syria, Nigeria, among other places. And in many of these places, Christians particularly are being targeted. Uh, In Egypt, Christians are being blamed by the Muslim Brotherhood for all the things that have taken place there. And so they are being targeted. And there are stories coming out of Egypt of children being shot and, you know, and houses being marked for uh, violence against them. And, and this, the same thing is true in Syria. The Christians are being persecuted there. Many of them are having to go underground. And in Nigeria, people, villages are fleeing uh, because of persecution. One of the things that... We keep hearing back from people in those settings is that it feels like the church in other places has forgotten us. And so this morning we're going to pray for them and I want to encourage you also to make them a part of your prayers as we join together asking God's grace and mercy on the lives of his children throughout the world and particularly those who are in 
difficult and uh, pressing situations, probably most of which we have very little knowledge of ourselves. We also want uh, to uh, make you aware of uh, the ministries that are going on. Sunday school started today, and next weekend is Christian Life Emphasis Week. We'll begin. And tonight also is the beginning of Koinonia, this uh, worship ministry that takes place in the chapel on Sunday nights at 7. Tonight's the first night. And we wanted to take a moment to uh, pray for those who are the leaders of, Ko- of the Koinonia ministry. So I'm asking them to come and stand here in the front. And uh, they've been gracious to be here at each of the services this morning. And we want to pray for them. And I'm going to ask all of you to stand just as a, um, as a declaration of your support to them as they lead this ministry that reaches out to hundreds of primarily students, but hundreds of people who come on Sunday nights for this ministry. So please stand as we pray for those standing before us. Father, we read in your word that you enjoy our worship. You love us to worship you. You you are pleased when we sing songs of worship and when we read your word together and we pray together. And when we come together for the sole purpose of directing our attention to you, we pray that this will indeed be the ministry of Koinonia this year. We pray for these leaders standing before us and the responsibility that they have. And we ask that your anointing would be upon each of them. Help them in their planning and their preparation. Help them as they stand before the people who have come and do what they desire you to do, and that is for them to disappear so that all of the attention, all of the focus is on you. We pray that this year during Koinonia there will be some significant spiritual growth that takes place and the moving of your spirit We ask for you to work miraculously in this ministry. Thank you, Father, for all that uh, these young people represent here, the sacrifices they've made, the gifts that they are using, and their desire to serve you and to serve others. And we pray that you will be glorified through all that they do. We send them forth in the power of your spirit. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Our choir anthem this morning is an arrangement of The King of Love My Shepherd Is. And you'll see the words printed on the screens. And we'd like to invite you to join us in singing the final stanza. That will be indicated on the screens when it's time for you to sing. And I will also turn and invite you. And please feel free to remain seated as we sing together.
One of the great joys that we have as uh, the church is to, uh, is to connect our children to God through the church. And it's a significant part of why the church exists. And this morning we have a couple coming to bring their daughter to be baptized. And uh, we are excited together to uh, support them and to hear their words of commitment as they have her baptized this morning. Josh and Sarah, you have brought this child whom God has given you to be baptized. Baptism is not the means by which we experience salvation, but it is a sign by which we acknowledge that God, through his provenient grace, is even now at work in your child's life. By this act, you are testifying your own faith in Jesus Christ, and you are declaring both your desire and your commitment as parents to teach your child as soon as she is able to learn the nature and the meaning of this sacrament and to nurture your, own, your child's own faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do you present your child for baptism as a sign of the grace of God, which is extended even now to her through the atoning work of Christ and declares her to be a part of the family of God? We do. Do you promise with the help of God to bring your child up in the instruction and grace of the Lord, to pray with her and for her, and to make every effort to so order your lives that as this little one grows, she will know the gracious invitation of Christ for her own life. If so, answer, we do with the help of God. We do with the help of God. Do you intend to encourage your child as soon as she is able to comprehend its significance, to acknowledge personally her own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to serve God faithfully in the fellowship of his church? If so, answer, we do with the help of God. In the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Sarah is also an ordained minister, and so we're going to baptize Miriam together. Miriam, Alana, Dirk, we baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When we bring our children for baptism or dedication, this is uh, really a connecting with a covenant that we are making as a church. I think of it sort of as a triangle around this little girl. And God is the base of the triangle and everything is about his foundation in her life. His grace to her now and throughout her life. And Josh and Sarah have made, state, made their statement about their commitment to her. 
And they're the other one side of the triangle. And with God's grace, they'll do everything possible to nurture her faith. But we also have a commitment. We have a commitment to, to be the church to her, to represent God to her. And it may happen in structured settings like a Sunday school class or in the nursery or children's church or youth group. But often it's in the unstructured moments of just being a loving presence to her. So I want to invite you to stand and to affirm your commitment to Miriam and to this family. As the Church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Miriam grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her? Will you be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life? If so, answer, we will. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this little one that we bring to you today. We thank you for your provenient grace in her life. You are already at work in here, in her. And as we have baptized her into the church, we are acknowledging your grace at work in her. Father, we pray that as she grows her heart will be turned to you and her passion will be for you and for your kingdom and for your people. Through the ups and downs of her life, we pray for your watchful care upon her and we pray that she will desire to live her life always with you at the center. We pray, Father, for Josh and Sarah and the the great responsibility and privilege of being parents. We ask that you would pour out your spirit upon them. Help them, Father, in, uh, in every moment of life to know your grace and that they would nurture Miriam and that they would, they would help her to want to follow you. We pray, Father, for Joseph and ask that you would bless him as a big brother. Help him to know your goodness to him. And as he follows you, may it be the most natural thing in the world for his little sister to do the same. We pray your grace upon his family. And help us as a congregation to be the presence of Christ to them. To love them and to support them, to care for them through your Holy Spirit. Father, we give this little one to you. We thank you for all that she is, all that she represents, and your grace and love already at work in her. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Almighty God, you have raised Jesus from death to life and crowned him Lord of all. We confess that we have not bowed before him or acknowledged his rule in our lives. We have gone along with the ways of the world 
and fail to give him glory. Forgive us and raise us from sin, that we may be your faithful people, obeying the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ, who rules the world and is head of the church, his body. In his name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 37, verses 1 through 6. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings, please stand as we sing the doxology. Father, you have given us so much in our lives. Help us to be grateful and to give with gratitude as we give back but a portion of all that you have given to us. Amen.
Sometimes the posture in which we come to God in prayer speaks to the, the things that are on our hearts. Sometimes uh, just, it's just the right thing to do is to stand. Sometimes it's to sit. Sometimes it's to lay prostrate on the floor. Sometimes to kneel. This morning as we take time to pray together, if kneeling is how you would like to offer your prayers, I invite you to come and kneel at the altar rail and join me as we pray together. Father, we come today needy people. We know that there are concerns and struggles and burdens in our lives and in the lives of others that we love and care for. So this morning we pray that you would heal the sick, comfort those who are grieving. We pray that you would restore relationships that are broken. We pray that you would help us to seek you first in all the things going on in our lives. Some of us come this morning with uh, feelings of anxiety and apprehension about the future. We pray for your peace. We ask, Father, that you will meet each of us as our, at our point of need. And give us grace to see you at work in our lives. We pray for this world in which we live. And we are continually amazed at the horrific things human beings will do to each other. Forgive us. We pray that you will bring an end to violence and war, the atrocities that we are witnessing. We pray, Father, that you will help the nations of the world to, to make good decisions in trying to help. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Egypt, Syria, Nigeria, other places who are living in fear and anxiety for their lives, for their families, for others that they love and care for. And we ask for protection. We ask for your mercy upon them. And somehow in the midst of all of this, that they would continue to shine your light into this darkness. Help them to know that we care for them, that we are praying for them, that we've not forgotten them. We pray for your grace upon the institutions that we are connected to. As we are in this beginning stages of this academic year, we ask for your grace and mercy so that we would come to May and realize that we have not only learned 
and that our minds have been enriched, but that we have grown in our walk with you. And we built solid relationships around you. That we are different people because of you. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Help us to walk in your ways each and every day. We offer our prayers through Christ, the one who came as a baby and gave himself to the cross and rose from the dead in victory and ascended to be with you and has promised to return. And the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord.
Father, we are grateful for your love that does not let us go. And for your word that always speaks into our lives. Give us ears to hear. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I'm pretty sure you know this, but I've come to the realization that that life is unfair. And I've also come to the realization that that really bugs me. Does that bug you, that life is unfair? It, it bothers me that people who don't deserve things get them. And people who do deserve them don't get them. It bothers me that, that things don't turn out the way I think they should turn out. And I have wrestled with that for as long as I can remember. When I was a child, and everybody in America, it seemed like, was watching the Waltons, including my family, I hated that show. Because bad stuff happens. You know, people get hurt, tragedies take place. And I'm watching them just thinking, okay, what's the next thing that's going to come up? And Little House on the Prairie was the same way. Now, despite the fact that there's always an argument about watching that or Monday Night Football, but that's a whole different discussion to have. But, you know, I, I didn't like those shows because unfair things kept happening to people. You know, these children have diseases and, and, and people get injured that seem to be good people and, and people who are bad get away with stuff. And, and it just, deep in my spirit, just bothered me and I didn't want to watch it. Enough of that stuff happens in real life. I don't need to see it on television. I remember when I was probably eight years old, nine years old. I don't remember exactly. We were on family vacation, and we were staying in a motel. And, um, you know, back in the ancient days, you only had three channels to watch on television. And uh, so, you know, we didn't have a lot of choices there in the motel. We turned on an old Western movie, and we didn't typically watch Western movies, but I, I can remember a bit of it. I think Henry Fonda was in it, and that's a name. Some of you will go, who? Others of you say, oh, yeah. Um, but, he, you know, and, and it was, he was in this movie, and the very first scene took place in a general store in this Western town, year, you know, back in, the, back in a long time ago. And, and uh, this guy and his son walk into the store, and they're just minding their own business, and a couple of bullies walk in, and they start giving grief to the store owner and threatening him and smashing stuff, and and so this, this father goes over and tries to intervene, and they end up turning on him, and the net result is he gets stabbed to death. And I'm sitting there watching this movie, and I can still picture it. I was sitting at the end of the bed on the floor, and I'm just sobbing. And I think I scared my parents half to death. They're like, it's just television. And I think, I know it's just television, but this kind of stuff happens. And somewhere deep in my spirit, I knew that this was representative of all the unfair things that go on in our world. As I've gotten older, I realize how many unfair things happen to all of us. And when I read Psalm 37, I have this sense of David saying, there's a lot of unfair stuff that goes on in this world. It seems to me if I put the psalm in a nutshell, and we only read the first six verses, but the, all the other verses combined with it, it seems to me there is this sense of David saying, God, 
Why is it that ungodly people prosper and righteous people don't? What are you doing? Does it mean nothing for us to follow you? Does it mean nothing for people to reject you? I look around and what I see are people who have turned away from you being prosperous and people who are following you not being. So what's going on? And on top of that, it's not, you get the sense, it's not just this is unfair, but there is also a sense of envy. Well, if you're going to give those people good things, you couldn't give me a few too? And David is crying out to God, what's going on? Life isn't fair. And then he sort of answers his own question. You see, woven throughout this psalm, this repeated idea that we handle that. We sort of deal with our envy by remembering that all this stuff that people are accumulating is going to disappear in a flash. You see verses 1 and 2, it says, Don't fret because of evil people or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Verse 10, a little while and the wicked will be no more. Verse 13, the Lord laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. Verse 17, the power of the wicked will be broken. Verse 20, the wicked will perish. They will, the Lord's enemies will be like the beauty of the fields. They will vanish, vanish like smoke. And one of the reasons why we struggle with this whole idea of why ungodly people prosper and why righteous people don't is because we have somehow shifted our focus to the, the, what the people are getting. And what this world tells us is success. Fame, power, wealth, position, all of these things that that we value so much as a culture and society, we're looking at those things and thinking, that's what it means to live. Now, we know that's not the case. We know that the moment we die, whatever wealth we've accumulated is gone. And we all know that the moment we die, whatever power we have gained is gone. And whatever fame we've accumulated is gone. We know that. We all know that when we die, we don't take it with us. But we struggle to live as though we believe that. And we spend a whole lot of our time trying to accumulate things, wealth, power, fame, all of this stuff, because somewhere in the back of our minds, we believe that that's success. And so no wonder we get irritated with God when ungodly people get that stuff and righteous people don't. Because if we were creating a formula, good people get the good stuff and bad people get the bad stuff. And it doesn't work that way. There's not, that isn't the formula in the way things happen. Now, good people sometimes do get good stuff and certainly bad people end up with bad things. But there's a lot of the other going on too. And we need to shift our focus. But you know, it's not just about what happens in eternity. People who have accumulated 
all of spent their lives getting all of this stuff, if they're honest, would be the first people to tell you, it isn't what I thought it was. It doesn't do what I thought it was going to do. That place deep down in my spirit that I was hoping this wealth would fill, that I was hoping this fame would fill, that I was hoping this power would fill, it doesn't do it. And whether people admit it or not, just look at the way at their actions. If it truly filled it, then when John Rockefeller was asked how much money does it take to make you happy, he would not have said just a little bit more. And if it were true, if it truly filled what we were looking for, then corporate executives who have more money than they know what to do with wouldn't raid the pension funds of their employees who are trying to eke out a living. Just because it was a thrill, because they just needed and wanted more. It's always intrigued me that so many people in entertainment, in the entertainment industry, and if we had the opportunity, we'd probably do this too, who spend so much of their lives trying to get to the place where people recognize them. And then they spend the rest of their lives trying to hide from the people who recognize them. Right? I mean, they want to walk down the red carpet and everyone ooh and ah. And then they complain because paparazzi keep showing up at their house to take more pictures of them. Or adoring fans are stalking them. Because it just doesn't do what they thought it was going to do. And we can get sucked in to that mindset. And David is saying, that's not what we're looking for. That isn't the measure of success. God is. The kingdom is not about what you can accumulate now. The kingdom is about God. And so over and over again, not only does David say, remember that stuff is fleeting. He says, if you want to, if you're going to get through this this struggle we have about life being unfair and wrestling with that, the, the only solution is to focus on God. And he begins in verse 3 and says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn. You get the feeling David doesn't quite know the exact word to describe what he's talking about. And so he just keeps piling on verbs. Trust in the Lord, dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture, delight yourself in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him. Over and over, just trying to think of a way that will connect with all of us. And what he's really saying is, make God your passion. Make God your passion. And when God is your passion, when He is your focus then this other stuff that we grasp for looks like it really looks. And it doesn't seem to matter quite as much. Now, we still are bothered about life being unfair. And we ought to commit ourselves to do everything we can to bring about justice in the world of injustice. We ought to be working for about things related to poverty and hunger. And, and we ought to be making decisions about the environment. And we, we, ought to, we ought to be doing whatever we can to bring justice to bear on our world that's filled with injustice. But at some level, it's beyond us. 
At some level, we cannot change the way this fallen, broken world operates. And we have to trust God. We have to trust God that despite what we see and feel, He's in control. He is still the sovereign God, and He is good. It's hard to do, though, when things aren't happening the way we'd like them to. And so later on, David talks about waiting for the Lord. And that's so hard to wait for the Lord. But waiting and trusting are always connected. And I, it seems to me that all the good gifts of God tend to involve waiting. They tend to involve stopping, waiting, because waiting builds trust. And trust builds relationships. And relationship is what God is after. Because it's only in intimacy with God that we experience what we're really yearning for in that deep place in our, whole, in our lives, in our hearts. Love, joy, peace, real life from the one who gave us life. Now, God doesn't make us wait because he just gets a thrill out of that. You know, it's not like he's some mad scientist in the laboratory trying to, you know, build some concoction that's going to throw us off. He just knows that we tend to go our own way when life is good and we get everything we want. But when we have to wait, when we are forced to decide about trusting, we are much more apt to turn to him and to rely on him. You see it through the history of Israel over and over and over again. And we see it through the history of God's people. And God will put us in a position where we wait, where we have to choose to trust. Because he knows that more often than not, that's the only way he's going to get us to turn to him. In verse 3, he talks about, it says, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pastures, how the NIV translates it. The New American Standard says, dwell in the land and and cultivate faithfulness. Robert Alter says that he translates it, dwell in the land and keep faith. And he says that this, the, the literal sense of keep faith is to shepherd faith or to chase faith. And I have in this, Im- this image in my mind of, 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 of course, David being a shepherd, of, of a shepherd out looking for that lost sheep, like Jesus describes in a parable, and, and he's so passionate about finding that sheep, he will chase it anywhere he needs to chase it in order to get it. And when he says chasing trust, that's not like, you know, chasing windmills. That's not like chasing some dream that we're never going to reach. This is about passion. It's about being so committed to learning to trust God that whatever road God takes us, we'll take it. However low it goes, high it goes, winding, curving, rocky, whatever, we will take it because we are enamored with learning how to trust God. Because we are convinced God is sovereign and God is good. And only God can give us, fill our lives with what we seek. And sometimes God's path is is difficult for us and he allows us to face some tough things. We have to believe it's in our best interest. Don Joy was a professor at Asbury when Cindy and I were students there. And 
I heard him tell the story and I've seen him write about it, written about it as well. When his son Mike was 16, he bought a car and it was, I mean, if you picture in your mind a junker, it was that and then worse. And he said, you know, it was what a 16-year-old could afford. We probably all, if we've been through that stage, have had those kinds of cars. And um, he got it home. It wasn't very long before it began to leak radiator fluid. So he poured more in, bought some antifreeze, poured it in. And within two days, it was all drained out again. So he took it to someone to have it fixed, and there was a leak. And the guy fixed it, and he, you know, it's a pretty good-sized bill. Puts more antifreeze in, and uh, it isn't very long before one of the hoses, it's all cracked and old, and it bursts. So he has a friend who says, look, I'll help you do this. So the guy helps him. They get it fixed. What they don't realize is that in the process of fixing it, he drives a screw through the lining of the radiator. And so a couple of days later, there goes all the antifreeze out on the ground again. And so he's got to buy more of that, and he's got to get that fixed. And he's piling up this bill. And the meanwhile, the car is just sitting in the driveway. So Don said, he and his wife talked through this, what they should do. He said, we came up with three options. One was to, um, uh, to really get on him for making a bad decision of buying this bad car. Another was to give him the money he needed to pay for the repairs. And the third was to let him deal with it on his own. And he said, we chose option three. I'm re- I remember hearing him telling the story in class. I'm thinking, I don't think I could choose option three. I think I'd choose option two. It'd be killing me. And he said there were so many times where he wanted to reach into his back pocket, pull out his wallet, and hand his son the cash because it was just breaking his heart. His son has this car, and here he's had it for a couple months, and it just sat in the driveway for all but two days. And he's got all this money he has to pay out. But they let him do it. And he finally worked enough made the payments, and dealt with it. And they said, you know, if he's going to learn about what it means to be an adult, maybe this is a good time to learn. And so they let him. And it was hard, and his son didn't always understand it. But he said now his son is grown, he's married, he has a family, and he is an entrepreneurial businessman with a number of employees. And he said, I go to him for financial and business advice. And there is something of God's work in our lives in that. We think God isn't operating, isn't moving, isn't doing what we want him to do, that he's not, he's not addressing the unfairness of things that are going on in our lives and the lives of others. We think that's because God doesn't care. And David is saying, oh, no, 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 God cares more than you could ever know. In fact, he cares so much That he wants something more for you than just these things that you think are so valuable. He wants something so much deeper. So much more. And he's not willing to settle for the stuff that we're often willing to settle for. I don't know exactly where we might fall on a on a trust continuum. Some of you may be here this morning and thinking to yourself, I have no concept of trusting God. I've never done that. I, I, don't, I don't have no idea what that's even about. Others of you I know have been trusting God for decades and a lot of us in between. 
But I'm convinced that wherever we might be on this continuum, every single one of us needs to continue to learn lessons of trust. Every single one of us needs to figure out a deeper way of trusting God. And somehow to count it joy. As Jesus says in in the Beatitudes, somehow to count it joy when life doesn't go the way we think it should. Because we're convinced that the sovereign God who is good is at work in deeper ways than we imagine. Are we willing in this year to come to commit ourselves about being passionate for God? Wherever He leads us, wherever He takes us, so that when we come to next May, or whatever marker you want to make, we look back and we can say with complete honesty, I'm trusting God more than I was then because His Spirit is at work in me. And I know He's good and sovereign. Father, in this moment of silence, speak to us, hear our prayers. Father, I suspect that for every one of us, there is something that's come to our minds this morning that you, to which you're calling us to take some step of faith and trust. It may be waiting, it may be acting, something. Help us to see the deeper purposes of you in our lives and in this world and in the church that we might respond to whatever that is by trusting you. Fill us with a passion for you through Christ.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.